Thanks for chatting with friends. If you want to grab your seats, that would be awesome. Thank you, thank you. Beautiful. It's fun to be uh, up here. I, we've been spending our weekend here. Uh, we have a couple hopesters who are uh, in the play here this weekend. The Adams Family Musical. My first time ever seeing it. So it's, it's very fun to be. It's, there's something sweet about sitting in an audience, seeing a play in the same place that we get to worship that really warms my heart. Uh, it's been making me pray a lot more for, uh, for folks here too. Uh, I love Advent calendars, and I cannot wait to share more about that with you. <laughs> but first, we have a really quick, just kind of family, church family update. Uh, in December, we try to do this just uh, every, every about quarter. We try to update ourselves, just so you know uh, where we're at. And I want to remind us just a little bit, uh, our anniversary is coming up, our birthday, uh, and just remind you of that, of why it's even important that we're we do these updates. Um, it was three years ago, actually right this time, three years ago, um, that a group of us, many of you who are in, in this room, uh, formed a launch team and we gathered to pray and talk about what it would look like to start a church, a location of Hope Community Church right here in uh, Columbia Heights. And it happened. So in January, we'll celebrate our third birthday being here. It feels like many more years than that as we started, planted, and then we went through COVID together, and, and we used to meet at Highland Elementary, and now we meet here. But in all of that, we wanted to just bring joy to our community. We wanted uh, to bring, as we read in Acts, uh, we wanted to see the gospel go out, this good news that God loves his people dearly, uh, that he pursues his people, this story of grace and love, this story of redemption of restoration, the story of a hope that one day God will make all things right, one that would bring great joy to people, one that would push back darkness in lives through the power of Christ, something we were just passionate about that we we're still passionate about. And so we were excited to start a church, and we did, uh, and we're here, and it, it's a joy to get to do this together, and that's still our hope, is that the gospel would change us and that we would overflow in our lives things like our time that we have. I hope we say time and we say tickers because we want them all to be T words. And so our hearts, when people who get, we're willing to give our hearts to even share the gospel in our, in our lives with people, to give our talents, how we're gifted and figure out what does that look like? The way God made me was look like to bear God's image and care and love people well and worship God and also our treasures. And so in all that, uh, we started with the hope that we would bring joy to our communities through the good news of the gospel and it's been happening and it's incredible to see it happening in our church and in our community. And so just, I just wanna stop. It's good to stop sometimes and say, oh yeah, it is happening. Because a lot of times it maybe feels like, what's going on? And so it is happening. Uh, in that, I just wanna give you a financial update. We wanna be transparent and, and open about this. And so here's our December financial update. Uh, as treasure is one thing that we overflow as we've been blessed, we bless others and are, are generous and, and you've all been very generous. And so just here at our location, uh, year to date, we have already uh, given $56,000, which is incredible. And our December goal for this month is 49, which sounds wild. Hey, Drew, there's a lot of months that added up to 56. Why would we be 49? Well, uh, traditionally and, and generally, even in just nonprofits, December is a time where a lot of giving um, happens. And so a lot of times some people just wait to give or, or people uh, feel more generous in December. It happens to be at Hope, about 21% of our budget us usually is given 
in December. And so that's kind of how we got this number. How to, we're, gonna, um, we're behind in our budget a little bit, uh, but also this is our December goal. And so we set a goal so that we have something to move towards and look towards and a challenge for us. And so I just want to share that with you. Our location's December goal is 49,000. Um, many of you are, are generously, continually giving every month. And we just encourage you, if you aren't, to consider that and um, to, to genuinely understand like there's great joy in, in doing that and being a part of our mission in that. So we'd love for you to join us in that. You can do that at our, on our website. Also learn more about how we think about giving and all those things there. But just wanted to keep you up to date. We'll update you throughout the month how we're doing here as we end um, the calendar year here at, at Hope. And so thanks for your generosity. Let me pray quick for us in this. Thank God for what he's doing and just pray for this. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, um, your great power that you took um, some broken people uh, don't really know what they're doing and you use them. In our weakness, uh, you are very strong. And I am grateful how you have used us to bring good news to our community, to one another, uh, that you use us to bring great love and grace to those around us. And that, uh, Lord, as we've heard, um, as people visit our church, uh, the word heal comes up. Uh, the word heal, it's a place I feel like I could heal or a healing place, which is a gift, Lord. That is our dream, and we're thankful that you are making that happen here. Uh, and I pray that you would continue to use us, continue to overflow in us generosity in our time and in our tickers and in our talent and our treasures. Uh, you're good, Lord. We just pray a blessing over our church and our people and our community, and that you'd continue to use us to bring great news, good news that brings great joy to our community. Amen. All right, we are in a series called Prayers, and uh, we're doing like a series, and we're doing like a Christmas series since it's Christmas time. We're, uh, we're going to look at some prayers that happened or that are, are based on Christmas or point us to Christmas. And so that's why our logo changed a little bit. We made it a little Christmassy. I'm excited about that. But, re oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. That's all I need is just one person to ooh at my stuff. Uh, thank you. You're, you're a great husband, I bet. That sounded like a good husband. Ooh, nice. That's great. Um, advent calendars are one of my favorite things all year long. It's something I actually look at throughout the year. I get excited. I can't wait to hear when Aldi is going to release their new. They actually have like a day they release what advent calendars are going to have, and then they tell you what day they're going to have them. Uh, we may have driven like to Aldi far away to get an advent calendar that wasn't available here. It just... Aldi is one of my favorite places and advent calendars. It's the greatest combo of things in my life. Um, and my wife, she was with me. So the third, sorry, the third greatest thing, uh, not in order. She's probably first or second above one of those. Um, I love them. They're just an opportunity to open up the little door every day and, and get some chocolate or get something. There's, uh, it, it really, for a while, wasn't it was just chocolate. As a kid, we got the ones, the little cardboard ones that just had the like chalky, maybe chocolate. I don't know if that was chocolate, but it tasted like chocolate. Uh, candies in it. We still get those at our house. Um, uh, but there's all sorts of them, right? There's ones that have chocolate and candy. There's ones that have really nice chocolate. If you search for it, there's a whole world of Advent calendars. There's ones that actually come. There's wine. You can drink a little bottle of wine or cocktails every single day. That's a lot of Wine, you could take communion every day then, if you had the wine one. Uh, there's a Lego one. This has been a favorite at our house. Every day you get to open up. There's a Lego figurine or a tiny little kit. You get to build another scene. 
There's ones that I just did a very quick advent calendar list on Google. There's books, there's advent calendars you open lotion every day, candles, stickers, Funko Pop figurines, cheese. There's one with records. That's not awesome. Every day you open a, a new record, uh, a vinyl record. There's coffee. There's tea. There's, this year, my, uh, the advent calendar I bought myself is an escape room. So every day there's a puzzle I get to do that leads me to the next one. It's so satisfying. There's just puzzles that you get to put together. There's toys, dog treats. You can buy your pet all sorts of advent calendars because they love advent as well. They're very excited for Jesus to come. <laughs> to come. Uh, hot sauce, socks, ramen noodle one. I saw a fishing tackle one every day. You can open up a new thing of fishing tackle. Uh, one of the great ones, um, there's a Dolly Parton one where every day you open one of Dolly's favorite things, <laughs> whatever that means. I don't know what that means. There's also ones uh, that maybe you participate in that are maybe a little more helpful at Christmas time. There's one that uh, is called the Jesse tree. There's each little, either they put them on an actual tree or a picture of one, uh, little images each day that remind us of, of who God is. There's uh, Advent Camps, we created one here for our church, just that each day remind you of uh, prophecies that, that are pointing to Jesus and uh, scripture about Jesus. And there's all sorts of ways, right? That you can do the Jesus Storybook Bible has an Advent readings and calendar you can do. They really make the Advent season, for me, very fun. It makes the waiting maybe a little less hard because uh, I know with our kids, that's kind of part of the excitement is that every day they do get like a little, they're like, when can we open presents? And you're like, well, you can open your Advent calendar. So sh- shut up, right? So they can open one little box and eat chocolate. It's, ex- it's exciting that you get this. It kind of builds some of the anticipation and waiting and excitement. It reminds us uh, that's a time of celebration of gifts it really kind of extends that, that, that giving season. They also do something to me that I really do not like. Uh, I think every season I have a day where I take a few days off of my heaven or a, a week maybe kind of the middle where I'm like, oh, I don't like what this is doing to me. It's something I have to actually guard myself from. It's something that happens when I, um, I get excited. I might have a few advent calendars going at the same time. <laughs> and uh, the one that has to do with uh, like, uh, scripture reading and maybe some prayer sometimes gets uh, left left behind for that day or gets delayed for later in that day because it was easy just to open a thing of chocolates or figure out my escape room or put my Legos together. Because those things I open up, right? Each day I get this gift, I open the door and my heart kind of says, oh, nice. I like that gift. I like that good thing that I was given. I like that piece of chocolate, that that little Lego figure and I want more of that. Oh, and thankfully I wake up the next day and I get a little, another almost IV drip of another thing. Another good thing, a Star Wars Lego figurine, a great little thing. But every day it's like a, it's training me each day to just want that thing and be satisfied with just that little taste of Legos or of chocolate. Especially in a season where giving and getting stuff uh, is already kind of built into the time and there's some entitlement even built into that, that I can start believing that those good things, those great little things um, are maybe divine things or honestly putting my hope into them, thinking, okay, every day I'm gonna get a little gift and then one day at the end of the month, I'll get a bunch of big gifts and everything will be perfect. Everything will be great. It's like I can almost train myself to create little idols 
that my hope or identity or ultimate savior from hardship or just mundaneness or just stress of Christmas or discomfort, that those things, those good things will ultimately save me, get me out of this place that I'm in. Um, I think it happens in all ways, right? All the, all, all the year round. But the Advent calendar at times for me becomes like my hope. So at least I get to open this and this will get me through the day. Each day I might open that door and a little Lego man almost whispers to me, hey Drew, I'll take away the bad. I'll make you comfortable. Come, let's escape together. It becomes an idol. We call in the church uh, an idol something that isn't God, but that we lift to a place of God, that we put our hope in, often a very good thing that we, that we make into a God thing. Each opening whispers to me, each opening of that door, it can call me to hope, put my hope in a small gift that is just uh, reminding me that there'll be a big gift under the tree later. This, my whole life, this has been a, a, always a struggle for me. I, I want stuff to satisfy me and it never satisfy me. I, I'm really bummed off and at the end of Christmas season because I don't get to open an advent calendar. I've actually had thoughts of like if I buy enough at Christmas, I could every month do an advent calendar as if that would keep me going. Um, but I want to tell us a story today, a story. It's a Christmas story to start kind of our Christmas series here for a few weeks on prayer about this very thing, about a person who uh, is turns and in every direction, she's given a little whisper of like, if you just put your hope in this thing, then you'll be okay. If you put your identity in this thing, you'll be okay. Just like a little opening of a door over and over. If, if this was just solved, everything would be okay. And she doesn't buy it. She does not. It's sort of a prequel to the Christmas story we all know. Jesus being born, a story of a family, a miraculous birth, a woman that we can learn so much from, a woman who opened the Advent door each day and said, sorry, my hope is in God Almighty, but thank you. And so today we're gonna look at the story of Hannah. So if you wanna open your Bibles to 1 Samuel, we're gonna read the first few chapters of that. My hope is we're just gonna uh, sit together and read this story. I'm gonna share a little bit of what's going on so we know maybe the context and understand it. And then I'm gonna share with you a few things that I learned from this and have been really a great encouragement uh, to me from understanding who Hannah is and how Hannah responds uh, and looks forward to Christmas. So let's start here. This is uh, 1 Samuel, beginning of 1 Samuel. We're gonna get right into it. There's a, a great, great story here that we'll just read together. There was a certain man from, uh, from Ramathayim and Zufit, Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim. There we go, we're starting out good. Some great names. Whose name was Elkanah? Elkanah, son of Jeroham, and son of Elihu, and son of Tohu, the son of Zuf and of Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and one was called Peninnah. Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. So we have a man here, Elkanah, and his his wives, he has two wives, Panina, we're gonna call her, and Hannah. Panina gave him children. She has children and Hannah did not. 
So we're going to learn today about this woman named Hannah. Real quick, just so we maybe get a little picture of who Hannah was. Hannah's name, if you're reading this in Hebrew, means graciousness or grace. And we're going to see how well that name uh, holds to her and how much she clings to that name. Hannah was very loved by her husband, which we're going to see here in a moment. She ended up actually having children, a little spoiler. She ended up having three sons and two daughters, as we, if you continue to read in 1 Samuel. Hannah uh, really understood spiritual things. She was familiar with prayer. And in fact, some called her uh, a great theologian of the Bible. She, in fact, says things in her prayer that we're going to get to that was the first time they were kind of said. Almost uh, uh, one of the people I was reading said she has written one of the first Psalms. It isn't in, in the book of Psalms, but as if she wrote a Psalm that people must have looked back at and were inspired by when they wrote the Psalms. And she is the mother, we're going to learn, of Samuel, the prophet and the last judge of Israel. So we're going to look at this life of Hannah and her family. Now, all right, let's keep reading. Year after year, year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Where Hophani and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came to Elkanah to, to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and all his sons and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? So quick here, just understand what's happening. We have kind of three people here that we're looking at. It's Hannah and her husband and then her husband's other wife. It's one of those stories where we get to see uh, what it looks like for a husband to have multiple wives and in scripture that never goes well. Um, And the one wife is having children and Hannah is not having children. And and you see here, there's a few things that happen. First, we learn how much he loves her. In fact, he gives her this double portion. It says he loves her deeply, even tries to kind of console her at the end of this part of the story. He says, why are you weeping so much? Why are you downhearted? I don't you have me, I'm here. But she's just so sad, understandably, right? And part of that sadness isn't just because she isn't able to have a kid. It's because the other wife is provoking her. In fact, in the passage, it calls her a rival. Her rival is provoking her. And you see what it leads her to feel like? She's, she's deeply, she's weeping to the point of not eating. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I have definitely been to a place where there's so much pain or sadness or, or anger that I can't even eat. It, it's just so much. It's too much. And Hannah is there. And it says actually year after year, this isn't just a, a quick thing. For years, she's being told, hey, you can't have kids, but I can have kids. And her husband's saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay of me. And she's hurt and she's, I think we can all get there. I know some of you here have experienced that actual thing. 
not being able to have a child when you desire so much to have a child. That's part of our story. For many years, we wished we could have children, could not, and that deep pain, the, the hurt, the, the attack on your identity, the doubt of where's God in this? What is he doing? Why would he give me a desire to have kids and we can't have kids? I'm sure there's other things that you felt the same thing, experienced the same amount of pain or you're unable to eat, that you've wept, not just cried, not just felt bad about it, but you're weeping, feeling that pain or that anger. Some of this comes because culturally it's, it is different too for her than it would be now. Now it might be like, oh, that's okay. You could put your energy into your work um, or into something else. For her, this is, this is her option. So culturally for her, having kids is everything. It's life and death. The size of your family determined so many things. And so your ability to have children for your family was vital, was really your value. And so the things that, it, it, um, why it was important, the size of a family determined uh, the amount of workers you have in your family, which could determine the amount of wealth you have in your family, how well your business did, whether you're, you have crops or you're making something that affected the status of your family and the community. This affected the value of this woman. Her fertility was actually connected to how well people viewed her and how even how well they thought God viewed her. If she was a mother and she had kids, it's different than if she wasn't. In a community also, as a whole community, the number of people was so vital. If you had less people than the community next to you, it meant your army also had less people in the community next to you. Not being able to have children could also affect your community that you, you might be defeated and taken over. You might become enslaved to a people group or at least now have to be a part of a different people group because you just can't have enough kids to keep up with them. Or you might actually be able to overtake another people group if you can have enough kids. See how there's so much tied to this, so much tied to her identity and her hope and from people around her. She had to feel just worthless in, in the very real sense of that word. And she was being reminded of that by this other woman who lived there with her. Even her husband who tries to comfort her say, yeah, but I'm better than like 10 sons. Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Sons were extra valuable, right? Because they are the ones who carried the family. They're the ones who led the family. It's like both of them saying, but Hannah, you're, if you could only have kids and you'd be valuable. Hannah, you're valuable just because I'm valuable to you. It's like she's opening these doors day after day saying, this is where your value, this is where your hope, this is where your identity comes from, from your children, from your husband. Let's see what Hannah does. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. There's more of this weeping, right? This deep anguish. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. It's a really important word here. She stands up. 
seems almost like a weird uh, part of the story. Okay, why'd she stand? This actually means like she arose and went. She took action. She no longer was down, uh, but she moved towards something. So in her deep anguish and her bitter weeping in this deep pain of her not being able to be the person that these people want her to be, she moves towards something. She stands up out of that, stands up. And where does she move? She moves towards the Lord's house. I think it's really interesting. Even here, the way this kind of plays out, it's like a, almost as if you're watching a play and she moves right past, walks past Eli, who is the priest. He's like the big dog priest. He's the one she could just go to Eli. Hey, you have this connection to God. You have this, this job that is to connect us to God, to bless us, to, to be the, the person that I should go to. Uh, and she walks really past him in order to pray just with God. In a way, this could also be a place she could put her hope, her identity is in her priest, in her religion. She could say, if I just did the right things, if I sacrificed the right way with Eli, or if I let him do these sacrifices, then maybe God would be happy with me and then he would give me a son. And then I could be valuable finally. I could be hopeful finally. I would have a, a future, a literal future of a line in my family. And she walks past him because she's going to the one thing that she does have her hope in. The one person that she is still close to, the one person that she can weep bitterly to and confess to and ask for something that only he could give. And she walks to the Lord and she prays and she weeps and she cries out. Look at the words she uses. She actually starts, Lord Almighty. Uh, this is one of the first times in scripture that this phrase is used, Lord Almighty. She has this very high view of who God is. If you only look on your servant and their misery and remember me, she, she looks at this high, high, this God who's so far and so big and so powerful. And she could say, I know you're so far away and I'm worthless. But she says, I know though that you're also very close and with me. That you see me in my misery. And you're not going to forget me. And I ask, would you give me a son? And if you give me that son, I will give him back to you. If you bless me, I will bless you. I don't think she's praying for an exchange here. Like, I'll do, if you do something for me, then I'll do something for you. She's, she's just saying, Lord, I, I have this desire to be a mother. And even when you give me a son, he still will be yours. And she says this phrase, which wouldn't make sense today. If you were praying to God, you probably wouldn't say, no razor will ever be used on their head. Give me a son, Lord. I promise I won't shave their head. <laughs> like what? She's referring here to uh, a group of people called Nazarites, who are people who are kind of assistants to the priests. It's a group of people who dedicate their lives to serving in the temple and serving with the priests. And that's one of the traditions there is, is that. So she's saying, I will give him as a person who then their life will be dedicated to your work. But you know what does happen here? If you look forward a little bit. So what a moment, right? She prays. You kind of hope Eli is there. He's watching. He'd say, oh, Maybe come around her, hey, wow, you're weeping bitterly. How, 
How are you doing? Can I pray with you? Because of the way she's praying, he thinks something different. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. She was praying now, like we learn, in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so she was just praying silently, just her and the Lord. And he thought she was drunk. And then he said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Imagine this moment. She's weeping. She's hurt. Years and years, she's living with another wife of her husband who's telling her over and over, you're worthless. You don't have kids. And she's, Lord, please look at me. Remember me. And the priest comes and says, hey, you're drunk. Just more, like more pain would feel heaped on it. I love how she responds though. She lives up to her name. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. She could say, I'm not drunk. What are you doing? I, I'm so hurt right now. I'm, did you see me crying? She says, no, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. Oh, okay. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I love this, the poetry in this. I was not pouring drink into me. I was pouring my soul out to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. I think he recognizes then what's going on. He sees her heart. He, he sees her, her, her hope that's in the Lord, her love for the Lord. And he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Gives her a blessing. So she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went on her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. That's what Samuel means. So I asked the Lord for this. I was given this thing I was asked for. Uh, that great name. She gets to yell that name at him when he's misbehaving. And he's like, he's like saying, the Lord gave me to you. Uh, I like that. Uh, I, I, the order of this is really, really important. She has her son. And then this must be the end, right? Now she's happy. Look at the order of where things change for her. She prays, Eli blesses her, she leaves. And then what happens? On her, she went on her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. She doesn't have her son yet. There's something about her bearing her soul to the Lord praying, crying out. And then th that's changed her, that she doesn't even have a son yet. That prayer hasn't been answered yet. It, it's something has changed in her heart. I think there's something here with just the way God works, even as we just confess and are, are just honest with him. And we pray and we know like he, he has what's right for us. And now she's okay, she can eat. Her head's lifted up. I, I love that. She, her hope isn't in her son. If I just get that son, then everything will be okay. It's still in the one it's been in, God Almighty. It's not because she got something yet. It's changed just because she got time with the Lord and knows that that God is with her and for her. 
grace, right? She just knows that grace is on her. She eats something, and then a miracle happens. They have a son named Samuel. And what is she going to do with Samuel? Well, when her husband Elkanah went up with his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to vow his, uh, fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. So she's going to say, I'm going to do what I, what I told the Lord. Once he's old enough, I'm going to take him and he'll, he'll become a servant to the Lord. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. But here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his words. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood beside you to pray to the Lord. And I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give to him, now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is a cool moment. This is like a three years later. And then she walks into Eli and says, I don't know if you remember me, but three years ago, I was here, remember I was weeping you thought I was drunk, remember? And then you didn't. And I asked, can I have, uh, Lord, remember me? And he did. And he gave me the son. And I've been blessed by the son. And now I give the son back to the Lord. It's just a cool, cool moment. Uh, Dr. Adeyemo says, uh, she was rejoicing in the giver and not the gift. This is, this is such a great description of, of Hannah. Thus, every verse of her prayer begins with the Lord and focuses on him. Hannah's about to pray now. This, this great prayer in 1 Samuel 2. And I want you to listen to that. Her prayer really is summed up as she rejoicing in the giver and not the gift. This, this is my problem with Advent calendars, right? I slowly begin to rejoice over the gift and not the giver. I forget why we even have Advent. And Hannah is one in deep pain, wants a son, but that son does not become her hope. In fact, that son that was given to her, she knows is the Lord's and she gives, literally gives him back to serve the Lord. So let's hear how Hannah prays. Hannah now prays. If you consider, if you are a parent, if you can imagine, you, you, for years you wanted a child. Finally said, Lord, I need I want a child, and he gives you a child. And now you have to drop that kid off. You're not dropping him off at college, like I'll see you at Thanksgiving. You're like, you are now in the service of the temple. You'll now serve here. You're it's 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 incredible to me. I think my prayer in this would be, Lord, please help me. This is gonna be so hard, and I'm gonna miss him, and please like tell him to call me sometimes. And her prayer is, is so sweet. Let's hear her prayer now. Then Hannah prayed and she said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep 
talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken and those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food and those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who has barren, was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. Her prayer starts, God, you are good, you're it. You're, you're the rock of rocks. You're the only one. You give us all things. It reminds me, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the Acts prayer where we start with adoration of who God is. That changes our prayers. We remember who God is and who we are. She starts, this is how she prays. God, you're incredible. And here's all the things you have done. Dorothy Jean uh, Weaver says this, these writers depict God as one who sees the distress of a barren woman, hears their cries for help, remembers them, grants their petitions, fulfills what has been promised and heals their barrenness. The biblical texts are replete with the stories of women from whom God has turned barrenness into fertility. Sarah, the woman, uh, the Bimelech's household, Rebecca, Rachel, the son of Manoah, Hannah, the Shumanite woman, Elizabeth. And we know at Christmas, right? A woman who wasn't barren, but miraculously had a child when shouldn't have. These are stories throughout scripture of women who could not have life, produce life, and God produces life in them. And there's one more, a woman praying who has just experienced that and understands a God who sees and hears and remembers and grants and promises and heals. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. He takes those who are low in the ash heap. This is like garbage, the burning garbage pile. And he seats them with princes on an honor, a throne of honor. Wow, what a God. Aliamo says, the catalog of reversals continues in the contrast of death and life, riches and poverty, the high and low status. God controls them all. None are so low that God cannot lift them. None have fallen so far that God cannot reach down to them. And there is no height from which God cannot bring someone down. I love that. There's nothing so low that God cannot bring you up. She knows it and she's crying it, singing it out in this prayer. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them, he has set the, the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She ends this prayer by reminding us that God will make all things right. He will judge good and evil and that there will be a king, an anointed king who will be exalted one day. This time actually in their history, there isn't a king yet. They don't have a king. They will have a king. Her son will be part of that process. They don't have a king. She's looking forward. She's praying an Advent prayer. Saying, God, you are the only one, the rock. You make the lowest 
raised up to thrones of honor. And one day a king will come, the anointed one, who will make all things right. One day, the grave will be opened. There'll be a king who will make life come from the grave. She's looking forward to a day when there'll be a woman who will miraculously give birth to a son. She will give this son to the Lord because he is the Lord. He will be a deliverer. The one that Hannah rejoices over a thousand years before his birth She's calling now to the Lord and saying, I can't wait for the day when this king will come. He will raise the poor from the dust. He'll give strength to those who stumble. He will take the needy from the ash. He'll give broken, the broken people thrones of honor. He will judge evil and put an end to injustice. He will call us out of the grave. His name is Jesus and there is no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one like our rock. Jesus, and, and in this day, over a thousand years before the birth of that baby in a manger, she says, God, you are so good. I cannot wait for that day. I cannot wait for that day. Her hope, her salvation, her identity in the one, the only one that can give that to us. Looking to the day when the Lord will come, when King Jesus will slay death. What a day, huh? What a prayer. What a prayer. And is a great encouragement to me. It's been, it's been an encouragement to Kelly and I as we went through years of uh, infertility, as we just could look to her even and be encouraged that uh, put, to continue to put our hope in the one, the rock. There's three things that I really stuck out to me from Hannah that I just want to finish uh, our time with here. And I was watching World Cup soccer while I was thinking about this. And so this might be the only time you get an Advent calendar and a World Cup and an Old, Old Testament reference. And I want to share these three things with you. The first thing is um, about a player. This is Memphis Depay. He's a player for the Netherlands. I watched him score a goal against us. He made me very sad in the moment uh, just this week as they knocked the U.S. out of the World Cup. But he has a very interesting story that is very similar to Hannah's. His name is Memphis is a cool name, right? Very cool name. But that's not his last name. Typically on your jersey, you'd have your last name. Actually, there's a fair amount of players that have the same story. When he was asked about this, he says, well, uh, uh, Depay is my dad's name and my dad walked out on us when I was four. So that's not really my name. I don't want to carry that name with me. There's a lot of hurt and pain, if you can imagine. And so I put my name, Memphis is my name. I don't carry that name anymore. Wow, what a powerful thing to do. Like that's, that's not who I am. I, I think Hannah does the same thing. Something we can learn from Hannah is that she carries her father's name, not the names of those around her. Like that little sweet move? She carries that name with her. She's told, no, 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 your name is barren woman. You don't have value. Worthless. Your name is Elkanah's wife. Your value is from him. No, your, your name is uh, Eli's servant. Your name is whatever, right? 
all these things. And she says, no, my name is given by God and my name is Grace, daughter of grace. And she holds on to that name. I think when we put our our hope in good things and they become idols, we also sort of take that name on, right? You become that person, the person who I'm valuable because I have this. I'm valuable because I don't have to feel this. I have hope because of this. Instead, we forget that we have been given the name, a child of grace, like Hannah. So I encourage us as we consider Hannah this Christmas that we can put our hope in and hold to the name that we've been given as a child of God, a child of grace. Well, the game was pretty tough, uh, hard to watch as a U.S. fan, uh, and they lost, and there was lots of bitter weeping (laughs) at the game. I mean, just grown men who couldn't stand up. They were just bawling on the field and something pretty cool happened. It made me cry a little bit, Uh, maybe right now a little bit too. Uh, The coach here went up to one of his players who was just, I mean, just tears pouring down his face. He was almost shaking and he embraced him. And there's kind of like bros walking around like, it's okay guys, it's okay, right? And he grabbed him and like pulled him in and they held each other and they cried. You you could see their, their muscles like flinching it wasn't just like a, it's okay, man. Come on, look out the field. It was like a, I'm with you. I'm weeping with you. This is not fun, but I'm here. Uh, just a, I mean, a sweet, sweet moment. The second thing I feel like we can learn from uh, Hannah uh, is that we uh, are in this together. And we can remind each other each day that we are children of grace. We can point each other to Jesus, that we've been called in scripture to build one another up, that we're not doing this alone. There wasn't a lot of people in there. Eli encouraged her. Her husband was trying to be encouraging her to her, but there wasn't a lot of like, Hannah, I'm going to hold you and remind you that God is still good. She's sort of doing that for us now. I want to remind us that we have a good God who does this, holds us, and we have a good, a good family who does this. And so not only can we remind ourselves that our name is Grace, but we can remind each other of this, that we're in this together and that we can weep bitterly together and, and, and come to the Lord together. The last, the last thing reminds me actually of Advent calendars, but one of the things that reminded me as I was watching this is after the game was over, people were sharing the story of how these men got to this game. And the story of the the group of men who got there uh, is like years and years long. It's a story of them meeting when they were very young and playing soccer together and tournaments all over the world together. And years and years of building to that moment when they played the Netherlands this weekend. So, So many days of practice, so many moments of dribbling around cones and doing passing drills, so many, so many days of running together, of being injured together, but day after day, kicking the ball. One of the announcers says, these guys have been kicking the ball together, some of them for 15 years. More of their life than less of their life. I thought, every day, every day they're kicking the ball. Every day they're playing, every day they're learning, because every day we got to keep 
keep after it. Every day, if we don't, a door is open and a tasty treat comes out and, and whispers to me and beckons me away from the one thing that brings me life. Martin Luther says this as he shares in his, his short little, uh, not really a book, uh, uh, document about a simple way to pray. He says, we become lax and lazily, cool and listless. I like cool, not cool like cool, cool like cold, <laughs> and listless towards prayer. The devil who besets us is not lazy or careless, and our flesh is too ready and eager to sin and disinclined to the spirit of prayer. This reminds us that there's actually active spiritual things drawing us away from the Lord, of the one, the rock, the one who raises us from the dead. And so in a sense, uh, Advent calendars, I think, can remind us of a daily opening of grace. What does it look like for us in our lives? I'm gonna welcome our worship team up here. We're gonna sing together here in a second. Um, And I just want us to consider this as we enter. The third thing has made me think is, what does it look like to practice continually to remind ourselves of grace, to open the door each day and remember how good God's grace is and who God is, be washed by it, be healed by it, empowered by it, that we would grow in wonder and anticipation of that day Jesus has already come and has already defeated sin and that day that we look forward to when he will one day make all things right. So what would it look like just practically in your life to continue to open a door each day and be reminded of the goodness of God that would strengthen us and build an anticipation for a day when God is coming. I want to take some time to respond to this good news of the gospel. A couple of things to consider here as we um, think here and as we end. Do you know King Jesus has come to bring life where there's death? You might, yeah, yeah, every week you ask us this, Drew. Yeah, every week we have to ask ourselves this. Do you know that's where it comes from? That's where it comes from. Where can you put your identity or hope that isn't the Lord? This time of year seems like there's like almost new. It's like Christmas time idols that just come out for this time of year. Who's with you in the pain of life, opening doors to Jesus? Who, who maybe helps you open that door? Some days I can't, I, I, I don't even remember or know to open my little Advent door to remind myself of grace. Who's helping you do that? Maybe who needs to know that there's hope? That Jesus will make all things right. You're gonna encounter people this month who uh, maybe have an extra sense of despair. Uh, especially as we hang with family sometimes and who needs to just be reminded that there's good, there's hope, there's goodness. We take a time now to, to do a few things that allow us to worship together. There's people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Uh, they really, really want to pray for you. And so please take that opportunity to walk back and have them pray for you. There's communion outside. Uh, you don't have to be a member here at Hope. We just ask that you follow Jesus because what we're doing is stopping and remembering his broken body and his shed blood. That's the thing. That's the, the thing he did that makes us alive that makes us go from death to life. And we're gonna celebrate that as we take communion in the hallways. We also will sing together and you can always give um, online as well. Let me pray for us and we'll continue to worship. Lord, thank you. Uh, Thank you. Lord Almighty, you are good. Please remember us, your servants. I pray that you would heal us, that you would empower us, that you would encourage us, that we would leave here uh, 
reminded of the good grace that you have given us and that we are called your sons and daughters, that we'd hold to that. You are uh, the only one, the only rock, our Lord. Amen.